future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Yes. Can you believe it? This is our first show. It is our first show of 2024. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. Yes, it's a, hey, let's uh, kind of start doing this thing again tonight kind of show. Uh, hope you all are doing well. Um, <clears throat> a more about... Uh, life and times momentarily well welcome raging chickens out to coop live this is kevin mahoney creator editor and founder of raging chicken on out to coop live we talk to progressives activists and troublemakers of all sorts right from our own backyards and across the country you can join us at the end of the week every once in a while <laughs> or maybe every week uh, for our Friday politics roundup where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can support this show by heading on over to Patreon, supporting us for as little as five bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to give us that five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment to let folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get a stream, and subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. I don't know what just happened to my music there. They just completely cut out. Let's, uh, I don't know. That's pretty interesting. Well, you know what? I guess it wouldn't be 2024 or the beginning of 2024 without something like this, right? So here we go. Anyways, you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And you know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast of the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Mukaleko, and produced by yours truly, Twice a month, the signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. And in case you missed it, the Beacon, Beacon just also launched their new Gen Z-focused podcast called The Civic Circle. You can check out The Signal at buckscountybeacon.podbean.com. But if you want to check out The Civic Circle, you got to check them out at theciviccircle.podbean.com. Yes, The Civic Circle is a podcast um, by the Bucks County Beacon tackling politics and policy from a Gen Z lens. Sarah Zhang, Mallory, uh, Mallory Marson, and Alexandra Coffey are students from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And once a month, they chat about activism, advocacy, and all the political happenings affecting their generation today. We've got a new one dropping soon. Can't wait for that. Attention all you gamers out there. The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. 
They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts with every A on the report card. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And look, if you ever find yourself in the Kutztown area, you've got to check out the Heart and Hearth Deli and Smokehouse. That is located at 466 West Main Street. It's Kitty Corner from Kutztown University's campus. The Heart and Hearth is an American bistro featuring, featuring barbecue and French-inspired fare, all with locally sourced and organic or ingredients. You got to go check it out. Their food is absolutely spectacular. You go in there, seek out Colleen. She's the chef and she's the owner, and tell her that Raging Chicken sent you. Special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, wrote our intro song that just disappeared in the middle of the intro. Um, there are no people in the future. Check out all of his great stuff and follow him on his YouTube page and on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Well, that is uh, quite a start to the beginning of the year to find my music go out in the middle of the intro. But nonetheless, I am very happy to be back. Um, Emily, yay, good to see you. Yes, I am back. Um, Emily, uh, thank you for reaching out to uh, for me during our little hiatus there, making sure everything was all right. Um, it was a, you know it was quite a ride, I have to say. So um, we we're uh, kind of off air a little bit longer. Ross, what's going on, man? Great to see you. Great to see you. Um, we we're off air for a little longer than expected. Um, part of it had to do with um, if you remember for those folks who were tuning in at the end uh, back in November December I got COVID back in uh, um, in around Thanksgiving um, then shortly after that my wife got COVID um, and then we kind of rolled quickly into the holidays and then we were getting our kind of interior of our house painted and it took uh, instead of something that was gonna we thought in our brains I don't know why that it was gonna take like a week and a half ended up taking about two and a half weeks from kind of start to finish. And our whole house was basically consolidated into our basement, which is also where I tend to do this show. Um, and then as a kicker, went to go see my folks, uh, kind of upstate New York. And as a kicker, right as the semester was uh, my semester, cause I, you know, teach at Kutztown university and, uh, right about the, uh, the time that uh, I was getting ready to go back to campus, I got sick once again. Uh, this time, uh, if you remember, I had cellulitis. I got this recurring cellulitis, and it just kind of knocked me out for like a week. Still recovering from it, if you can believe it. Um, but, you know, so it was a little bit, you know, kind of a, like a stumbled limp into 2024. Um, but it is what it is, you know, and here we are, 2024. Um, yes, uh, Ross said, hey, folks are driving around trying to gather petitions and signatures. That's absolutely true. Uh, Don Curran was uh, by our house yesterday. Um, yesterday, yesterday, um, picking up some, uh, picking up some, our signatures here. Um, I know we've got some great folks out from the Penridge Democrats, but out gathering, um, signatures, people from all over Bucks County. I heard we're out there getting signatures to get, uh, Democratic Party candidates on the ballot from, for, um, the fall's election, um, uh, both for the primary coming up and for the fall's election. So, um, it's quite a, uh, you know, it's been quite a kind of cool. It's been interesting to see. There feels to be a very different energy in the air in 2024 um in some ways okay i don't want to kind of get too far out i don't want to get all pollyannish on you here or anything but um there i remember you know when i first lived uh moved to the kind of percocy area i remember trying to search out and try to find 
like, you know, who was, you know, are there, is there a Democratic Party organization in the area? Are there progressives in the area not knowing where to go, right? Nobody ever came and knocked on my door. Um, nobody ever kind of asked me for my signature on their petition. Um, if I wanted to kind of sign somebody's petition to help them get them on the ballot, I had to go kind of find where there were people. The beginning of 2024, got multiple notifications on both email and social media, um, individual messages. We're hearing both from the uh, Bucks County Democratic Party, as well as the Penridge Democrats and other associated organizations who are proactively contacting everyone and look and out there hitting the streets already at the beginning of 2024. It really is, you know, when I step back, it's, it, it's a sea change, you know, and I think that the victory in the Penridge School District, the victory of the Penridge, um, you know, Penridge Committee Alliance, the, the, all the candidates who basically overturned the extremist school board majority um, and now have a new majority are starting things off at the right foot. Um, they're brought sanity back to the school board. And I think, and that also happened in the Central Buck School District, right? And it should be said that both of those victories, uh, you know, they owe their victories in large part from grassroots parents and community organizing, right? And and that is that is what builds movements long term, right? And so these folks didn't just to kind of like you know Democratic Party at the national level didn't say oh Buck County is an important county flew a bunch of people in gathered then then kind of disappeared and kind of you know until you know four years later, no, these are kind of homegrown organizations now. Um, that are doing just amazing work, you know? And so I, I don't know, it just, that's what I mean by there's a different feeling. Now, of course, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why this doesn't feel like the beginning of, you know, something new, like a hopeful time. Um, especially if we're starting to look at places like what's happening in kind of Israel and Gaza, um, just this kind of genocidal action on, on part of the Israeli government. Um, and the inability of so many, say, commentators and um, even activists in some cases, but, but but particular commentators in the media to be able to separate out, like, the actions of a government from the Jewish people, for example, right? Instead of kind of saying, like, okay, look, we can make a distinction here between the actions of a government and people as a whole, right? And the same thing when we are talking about Hamas and the Palestinian people, right? We should be able to kind of separate, the, make the distinction between Hamas as a terrorist organization that carried out a massacre on, on kind of on Jewish civilians and the Palestinian people, right? So we start off the beginning of the uh, you know beginning of this year to with with news coverage that's still frustrating. Now I have to say because in part because a lot of the kind of the the mass movements that have been taking place, um, you, the UN's action being able to kind of call what was happening in the in in Gaza as you know as as you know kind of genocidal action. There's war crimes that are happening there. You know the Israeli government is carrying out war crimes, right? So there's a lot of things that we're going to sit there about. That's bad, right? We see now that the kind of the expansion of 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 uh, you know of, of U.S. involvement um, in, in these you know the Horn of Africa. We kind of we've got and 
We've got and we've still got the ongoing crisis in Ukraine. So, I mean, yes, there's a lot of that stuff that's bad. 2023 was the warmest year on record, right? We kind of blipped above the 1.5 degree degrees of warming like ever before. So there's lots of that stuff, right? That is our, cha our, our challenges now and kind of long-term. But I, there, there's something about, for me, I guess, and I should say this too as well, that all those things that I just kind of, that litany, that short litany, that's certainly not everything uh, that is ran through, um, really got to me, you know, in ways that um, I don't think it had before. And I spoke to a little bit about this to my last show before we, uh, last show of 2023. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been trying to ask myself, you know, is this, is this what burnout feels like, you know, because um, I've been in a certain kind of funk that I haven't been in, you know, um, kind of for a while around this stuff. And it's just like, and it's weird because it's at, that's happened at the same time that there's amazing organizing happening right in my own backyard. It's just this kind of weird, whatever, individual kind of mental space or whatever the heck you want to talk about that I'm in. But so, but there's something about, despite those things, to see the kind of proactive work that's going on and just the, the amazing, genuine people that are involved in organizing is, is something else. And, you know, as much as it feels super good to know that we had these victories in the Penridge School District or that in the Central Buck School District, um, I'm very, very aware that what is happening now in the Southerton School District, what is happening in the Kutztown School District, um, what is happening in several other school districts, kind of um, even just kind of within like short driving distance uh, of, of Bucks County is troubling. Um, and it goes to show that, you know, the, the victories that were won in Central Bucks and Penridge um, were hard-won victories, um, but those opponents, the people that seek to decimate public education are not going away. Those people that are kind of like, you know, on the Christian, Christian nationalist band, band uh, uh, or, or train, I should say, are not, are not going away. So there's a lot on our plate. In addition to that, of course, it's 2024, right? We are in a presidential election year, and we've got a a party, the Republican Party, that is dominated by Donald Trump. Doesn't matter how many crimes the guy commits, doesn't matter how many court cases, it doesn't matter the fact that the guy has committed all sorts of kind of crimes against the Constitution and the kind of the U.S. government and everything. It doesn't matter to a large section or, you know, really the dominance of the Republican Party, as we've seen in these the dwindling numbers of of candidates running against him. I mean, we're down to one now, right? There were Republican Party debates, presidential debates, but pr Trump didn't show up and, the, you know, they were just kind of a sideshow. They were kind of like, oh, hey, we're, we're kind of doing our kind of due diligence over here with these debates, but they weren't really watched very much. <laughs> Nobody seemed to really care about him, right? Uh, anybody who is any kind of real, uh, you know, pays close attention to politics whatsoever knows that, you know, that, that's nothing. Trump controls the party, and certainly that's true. Now, it's interesting to see Nikki Haley going up against against Donald Trump uh, for the Republican nomination. Um, but let's face it, is that 
there's there's a there's the the divisive politics that have marked you know the past decade uh, aren't going away anytime soon and i guess my hope for 2024 going forward is that we've got some at least practical hands-on models of some things that are uh, of of alternatives right this kind of community-based organizing um that we've seen throughout Bucks County and beyond. And yes, yes, yes. Look, I am well aware that there's amazing organizing that's going on in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and all this. But, you know, in Pennsylvania, I, I've always had this... Okay, let me put it this way. I had, um, you know, I used to live in Washington, D.C. before I came here. I may have even told this story before. But I... I, I I was, uh, I loved living in DC. I had great friends in DC. Um, I loved where I lived. I loved like the, um, the people that I worked with, although the pay was absolutely crap. And I had an opportunity to stay there, right? Um, long-term. Um, but, I, but I chose to come and, and teach at Kutztown instead of, of GW. And, um, it was a hard decision, right? To leave a place that, that I had, you know, built some roots and some friends and stuff and kind of come to and, and move to Pennsylvania in a place that I had never lived before, right? I'm originally from, you know, kind of central New York. And um, and I remember choosing a job at Kutztown and thinking about kind of organizing and thinking about the history of labor within this the state of Pennsylvania and all the kind of rich heritage in this stuff. And I was, you know, talking to somebody down in, in, in DC about this, who I worked with at GW for a bit. And, you know, talked about the kind of importance of organizing in, you know, in, in small towns, in small cities. And Pennsylvania seemed ripe with that. And I remember them just laughing about it. Right? And basically saying, you know, kind of reinforcing that stereotype that you always hear about Pennsylvania, right? You know, it's kind of like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Alabama in between, right? The great, you know, T of kind of, of red that goes to the state. But it never, ever sat right with me. You know, even then when they were kind of laughing, I remember, what are you laughing at? It's like, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of way, uh, how do you imagine social change, let alone something like, you know, this person's case, like rev revolutionary change, when you're focused solely on the cities, you know, focus solely on the kind of center stuff. And, you know, and I get it, right? I mean, you live in cities, you're surrounded, they tend to be kind of much more liberal. There's a lot more kind of political engagement that's happening for the most part in cities. Um, but you also have some pretty deep despair in cities, right? You also have some of the perfect examples of the, of the, 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 the deepest brutality of of our kind of capitalist system happening in cities right but i get it right because you go around a lot of other kind of like-minded people that you can actually do organizing and have an impact i get it i understand why that's invigorating i lived in places like that i i i love places like that but it seems to me that there's something wrong with you know writing off the vast majority of other people to live in other places and it seemed to me one of these like failures on on you know of, of of the left side of the spectrum to really think about what it means to organize with people right now there's been huge changes 
right, in some in organizing models, you know, since I first, you know, moved to Pennsylvania in 2002. Right? Huge changes, right? The, the whole idea about deep canvassing, the whole idea of, you know, what we saw, the inroads, the kind of organizing the DSA did in kind of some areas, which are focused on, you know, kind of everyday kind of concerns. Uh, we've seen stuff around school boards, right? You know, things like this, where there's that kind of emergent sense of, of, of organizing that is not rooted in, you know, okay, I just need to be around a whole bunch of other people that are just like me, right? Uh, and, and in some ways, you know, when, I, when I'm not kind of in the thick of trying to, you know, wonder, like, is my kid going to be okay going through the school system? You know, like that kind of, that's weighing on my brain to like really thinking about it, it's like, it, it's, it's impressive. And I can't um, emphasize enough or kind of give accolades enough to the folks who organize here in Penridge, in the Penridge School District, right? Because this, you know, is, everybody will agree, one of the more conservative areas um, in Bucks County. And so, but they won, right? I mean, these folks that organized, they won. And why did they win? They didn't win because they said, oh, here's our five-point kind of ideological platform that's consistent with, you know, <clears throat> a left democratic kind of thing. No, no, no. They talked about what is most meaningful in the community and kind of and, and taking care of each other. They talked about what is sane and what is good for our kids. They talked about wanting to have a community that wasn't based upon the kind of like just nastiness and and vitriol that was brought by these kind of extreme, you know, moms for liberty types on the board. Now they're still two there, but you know, they're no longer in the majority. So that's incredibly hopeful, right? But there is something, and Emily said, yeah, Groundhog Day, when I was, you know, talking about the presidential, you know, presidential races, yeah, it is kind of like here we are again. But I'm hoping. And this is where I worry that I'm getting, you know, Pollyannish about it, right? But I'm hoping that there's some of this new organizing that, you know, began with, you know, the Women's March, that began with, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, that began with, um, you know, the rise of DSA, a whole bunch of, like, grassroots movements um, that have been working to find their feet and that has been, you know, getting down to like some of the, you know, brass tacks of organizing we get in our communities. I'm hoping some of that kind of moves forward, right? As we're moving into this presidential election series. Um, one of the things that I stopped doing for a bit was um, watching any kind of cable news, right? I literally took probably a month break from watching cable news at all. I didn't watch a ton of it before, but, you know, I used to like to, I used, I used to watch, I used to watch like Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes. And then, you know, Rachel Maddow, of course, she just, she disappeared for a while. And then she only came back for one night a week. And, um, and frankly, for a long time before that, she was so focused on Russia, 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 <laughs> that I just kind of lost the thread of really kind of, 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 of interest in following something so closely. I mean, I, you know, there's more going on in the world than Russia, Russia, Russia. Not that that wasn't an insignificant story, but it's not the only story. Right. And I felt that that was a real loss um, that she focused so much on that. And Chris Hayes, again, when he had his first when he first had his show on Saturday mornings, I used to love that. I used to get up. My kids were like babies. 
And I used to get up in the morning with them and come down um, and watch, you know, Chris Hayes' show in the morning. He had great kind of discussions that would be in these roundtables. And for the most part, that really followed through for his show for a while. And yet, you know, this, uh, there was this, this creeping sense of like, okay, the only thing that he's going to cover, the only thing that anything one on MSNBC is going to cover is just going to be the Trump trials. It's going to be the Trump show all over again. And, you know, again, I want to be careful here. I want to say, look, look, there's, I want to give some nuance here. It's like, you know, Chris Hayes, some of these other shows, they are focusing on some other things, but they're not the lead, right? They're not the, the majority of it. And instead, it really feels like, okay, if I want to go hang out in the Democratic Party dugout, right? If I want to go hang out on that bench, like with the rest of them, can see what kind of like, you know, what they're rah-rahing about, you can go over there. Um, but it's like official Democratic Party lines and responses, right? Even the ways they're kind of laughing at the ridiculousness of certain things that are happening in our, in, in our communities about the absurdity or the astonishment they had when Trump like took the stand for five minutes, like in his trial, the other people are like, my jaw literally dropped. I'm like, really? And, you know, I, I understand that cable news, that's what they do, right? They, you know, they, they're into the horse race there and we're in this kind of bifurcated kind of media system where, you know, everyone's on the team and, and that's what they're going to do. But we can do better than that. You know what I mean? So anyways, I just, you know, I turned on the other night. I said, okay, you know what? I, I should probably start, you know, slowly, you know, dipping my toe back in the pool as it were. And, you know, so I turned on Chris Hayes, you know, and I, I watched a little bit. And it was, you know, again, the Trump trial, like it just back and forth and back and forth. And you got like, I'm looking at it. So, okay, where they're going to get some other stories. They're going to talk about what's happening in, in Gaza. They were going to, you know, some other story, but you know, I'm 30 minutes into the, into the new show. And they're literally just bringing on more people talking about their opinion about the Trump trial. Right. It wasn't even kind of news coverage at that point. Right. There was nothing that actually happened other than the fact that the dude stepped on the stand and said like five words or something like this. And then that was it. There is no news there. Right. Other than a mention of it. And so that has me concerned kind of moving forward, of course, because I think that the ethos of being grounded in the community is going to be so important. So anyways, that, you know, I knew I was going to be kind of a little uh, a riffy tonight, if you will, because I really saw this as a kind of a kind of getting back. I've got some. Um, we've got some kind of good shows. I don't know if you've, uh, you've heard about this. You remember a while ago, just give you a little preview of some stuff that's going to, that, that is coming up. Um, the, uh, if you guys remember, uh, Steve Oros, so Steve Oros was the, uh, faculty member at Kutztown university who had open heart surgery. Um, and then, uh, was the Kutztown university administration was basically going to force him to go back to in-person work, despite the fact that the, that COVID was still, was still super active in 2021 that the COVID was still like on a rampage and his doctor had basically told him that you can't, you can go back to teaching, but you can't go back in person. You have to go back online. And the university refused to make um, any kind of accommodations um, to deal with it. That's a shorter, you probably remember the show. It was a fantastic interview. I had Steve on a couple of times. Well, anyways, there was a new federal court ruling that just came down. I think uh, about a week and a half ago that Steve won another case and this case that um, that's, that uh, Steve Oros won against the university was basically the university appealed and this goes up to the federal courts. And the federal courts basically said, no, Kutztown University's administration knowingly 
put in place a policy that would that would purposely not provide accommodations for people with disabilities, right? Specifically disabilities that, um, that were connected to COVID or something. So if you basically said, I have this condition that I can't be in a classroom because if I get COVID, I'm gonna die. They already had a policy put in place behind the scenes that they didn't tell anybody about, but they were operating on that basically said that we are not gonna give that person accommodations. Because Kenneth Hawkinson, the president of the university, was so, like, so set on being back in person. He was, you know, determined to do that. Great and fortitude, right? So anyways, uh, so that case just came down, and Steve is going to be back on the show, um, potentially even uh, uh, with his lawyer. We're trying to kind of work out some of the details. Um, but Steve will be back, up, back on the show in the upcoming weeks. Um, if you remember, I had uh, I interviewed some folks back on the um, during the climate convergence. Um, there's a there's a couple of folks, the the Coalfield Justice folks um, that um, that I kind of interviewed uh, interviewed that I'm, I'm I should have brought their names up. I should have had all this stuff up, but I, I don't. Um, so I'm just spacing um, the name. Reach out to them. Want to have them on the show talking about kind of organizing um, kind of in you know, places like, like West Virginia and Appalachia and these coal fields, right? And how, what that kind of organizing looks like and to have a kind of uh, an organizing model that's rooted in people, right? I mean, so having those folks um, kind of come back on the show here. Um, of course, as um, as the election gears up, we're probably going to have some commentators and stuff on. I'm trying to look for somebody right now, to be honest with you, um, that is willing to come on and talk about uh, Governor Shapiro's, Josh Shapiro's new proposal uh, for consolidation of uh, Pennsylvania's public higher education institutions. Um, I am, obviously this is something that impacts me directly um, because, you know, this is, uh, this is it. But like, the, let me give you the idea, the top line of this, and you probably have seen these headlines. If you, it says, I'll give you, this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm just gonna read you a couple of headlines from around so you get a sense of it. Here's a Philadelphia Inquirer. Governor Josh Shapiro proposes sweeping reform of PA state-funded higher education. Shapiro's three-part plan calls for a cap of $1,000 per semester on the cost of tuition and fees at state-owned universities and community colleges for Pennsylvania, um, for, for Pennsylvanians making $70,000 or less. In other words, if, your family makes seventy thousand dollars or less. There will be a cap on tuition at one thousand dollars per semester. Now, look at the money of that. The actual impact of that is a game changer, right? For you to basically be able to say that is going to be make higher education accessible for working class in Pennsylvania. That right there. Right now, we could argue. I, as you know, I am not a fan of means testing stuff. I believe in universal programs. I think that if you're going to do this, you make this accessible for everyone. Right? Instead of it making it, it's something that is that we're going to pit the the family making sixty nine thousand dollars a year against the family making seventy two thousand dollars a year. Right? Because that's essentially you, you draw that line at seventy thousand dollars. That's what you end up doing. Right? The people that are just above $70,000 are not going to get that, and they're going to be kind of hit with an extra bill. And that is the kind of like gutting of the middle class that, is, that has happened kind of consistently. And the Democratic Party has been part and parcel of doing this, right? But nonetheless, all those caveats aside, 
thousand dollars per semester is, is is amazing. Now, how are you going to do this? Right, that's a big question. Well, here's the the headline from the New York Times: is this Pennsylvania governor proposes to overhaul the state's state university system. Governor Josh Shapiro declaring that the system is broken, plans to place most schools under the same system and lower tuition for low and middle income students. Okay. I want to read you a little bit of what the New York Times article was on this. And this is out from uh, January 26th. All right. So a few days ago. So Governor Josh Shapiro of, of Pennsylvania, who has complained that his state's higher education, um, quote, isn't working, proposed on Friday a sweeping overhaul of the state's sprawling college and university system that would reduce tuition for many students and determine funding for individual schools based in part on their performance. The plan would consolidate 10 of Pennsylvania state universities and all of its 15 of its and all 15 of its community colleges under one governance umbrella, boost state funding for public higher education and allow students with low to middle incomes to pay only $1,000 a semester in tuition. Most of the plan would not affect Pennsylvania's best known public universities, Penn State, Pittsburgh, and Temple. And then quote, after 30 years of disinvestment, too many of our college universities are running on empty and not enough students um, have affordable pathways into good jobs, Mrs. Shapiro said in a statement. Plans to overhaul have been under development for nearly a year by a working group formed by the governor. Who complained publicly? Um, who complained publicly shortly after taking office in 2023 about problems in the state's higher education system? Okay. So, what this says is it gives you a little bit of a look a, a look into this, right? So, it's basically saying we are going to take the community college system and Pennsylvania's 10 state universities. Remember, there used to be 14, but the Chancellor Greenstein consolidated six of those universities into two. So now we're down from 14 to 10. And there's been all sorts of problems with those consolidated universities, but I'll put that aside for now. But combine that with 15 of its community colleges and essentially put that all under one governance umbrella. Let me pause here for a second and let you know why this is kind of of concern with me and should be concerned, I think, of a lot of folks in different sectors. The big question for me is this, and I wanna be clear, I do not, we do not have all the details about this, this yet. I have not spoken to my own uh, faculty union um, about what their perspective is on this yet. Um, I've read some things from there, but one of those flags that's kind of sitting there in the air for one of those, I shouldn't say flag, but one of those kind of like, you know, flashing lights that's saying, hey, pay attention to this. If you know anything about unions, You have a union contract with a particular boss, right? <laughs> For lack of a better, to make it put it plain, right? And so your contract is between this body of faculty and this entity, right? So if I have like, you know, for I am a unionized faculty member, right? Member of our union um, and I, my union, right, we bargain with the state system of higher education. They are the administration. They are the bosses, right? And so in order for my union contract to be there, it's with that group. Now, what we've seen in the private sector over and over and over again, some public sector of this too as well, is one of the ways of getting out of union contracts or busting unions is that you change 
the boss, right? And you basically say they did this in Florida. Now, if, if you go back and read some of the stuff that we wrote on Raging Chicken years ago, and even talked about on this show, we talked about the former chancellor who came up here was from Florida, but some of the, and we talked to some people um, in the Florida state system, uh, the, the Florida uh, state university system down there, about essentially them doing the same thing, is what they did is they changed the governance structure and then said, well, look, you're no longer bargaining, the, the entity that you were bargaining with, that you had a contract with, they no longer exist. So you no longer have a contract. If you, you know, we're not saying that you can't be unionized, but if you're going to be unionized, you have to form a new union. And your faculty are not even the same faculty, right? Because now you have all these community college faculty members too as well. So your, your, your working body is different. So you can't say that ABSCUF, my faculty union, represents all these folks. As a matter of fact, some of those community colleges are, are have contracts with American Federation of Teachers, some of those um, contracts with the AAUP, right? So you don't even have the same unions. So if you want to have, you know, a union, you're going to have to reorganize your union and you have to start a union drive all the way over. Now, I am not saying this is going to happen. And I'm also not saying that there's higher education union union leaders have already been this has been already on their on their radar i'm sure it is i'm i'm, I'm i know it is but that's one of those questions that kind of comes up it's like whoa this is a big deal right for union work in the state okay so that's one thing amy what's going on welcome welcome a second caveat here i want to go to the governor's the press release here for two things So in the governor's press release, and this came out on, uh, again, the January 26th, about the his new proposal, right? Um, some of the things we already covered. But then he says, um, under this third point, increasing transparency and improving outcomes. Third, this is, now I'm quoting, Governor Shapiro believes Pennsylvania should pay for performance. That's why he's proposing that direct appropriations to publicly funded college universities be distributed on the basis of a predictable, transparent, outcomes-focused formula that will incentivize college and universities to focus on what is most important to the Commonwealth. A performance-based funding model has already been embraced by higher education leaders across the Commonwealth, including Penn State President Neely Bendabudi. Okay. In consultation with higher education stakeholders, the Sapiro administration will establish a predictable performance-based funding formula that rewards public and state-related colleges and universities for achieving outcomes that benefit the Commonwealth. Right, and kind of it goes on. So, well, I'll read the rest of it so you don't think I'm taking it out of context. The formula will take into consideration factors including but not limited to increasing enrollment, the number of first-generation college students that receive credentials, and the graduation rate. Furthermore, the formula will incentivize institutions to recruit and support students to complete degrees um, and earn credentials in fields facing workforce shortages such as education and nursing and growing fields like advanced manufacturing and biotechnology that will drive Commonwealth economic growth in decades to come. 
right? Finally, Governor Shapiro will ensure his, his performance-based funding formula is driven uh, is driven out through the Pennsylvania Department of Education for state-related universities. This will no longer require a two-thirds vote in the legislature, breaking the cycle of political gamesmanship that has helped um, held funding hostage. Okay, so again, all of this on its surface, right, sounds fine until you start looking at some of the history of what quote-unquote performance-based funding looks like. Performance-based funding models can often be utilized to turn education and other professions for that matter into standardized testing regimes, right? Even though it's not standardized, but turn them into these standardized regimes in which monitoring by the state, monitoring by these like, you know, government or non-state actors, well, how are they gonna do this, right? About what they perceive as essential to education. Now, if you looked at what happened and that's the, what does that mean? That means that what has already happened in K through 12 education, where a good chunk of your child's education, if you have kids, a good chunk of that year is depend is spent on preparing them for the test. Why? Because there is an outcomes performance-based model for K through 12 that says these schools need to basically demonstrate that they are performing, right? And if they succeed, right, then they will kind of get their funding. Those who do not succeed will be punished, right? And in some cases, shut down, right? Those are extreme cases, of course, but that's the whole idea. And so teachers, administrators, school districts put what? a quarter of the school year, a third of the school year, they focus on gearing up students for those tests so that they can demonstrate their performance. And I'm not gonna go into this all now. There's a, there's a, there is a library's full of research on how this has helped decimate public education, the damage it has done to public education. It was all done with great, language and words, right? It was all done with the best intentions. Right? It was all done to leave no child behind. But what that translated into is a educational industry, like industrial complex, right? It's built around standardized testing regimes who now have financial incentives in order to kind of demonstrate that their product actually measures the things called performance. When most of the qualitative research that's out there and all the research out there suggests that it has had a negligible effect at best on the ability of, of you know, once you start comparing American students, would you start comparing to students in other countries? We have vast, who do not rely upon this kind of like rigorous, like testing regime. The same thing that has gone on in K through 12 has also happened in medicine. And look, I, Arnie Duncan, let's look at Arnie Duncan, the Obama education guy, he was the champion of that model. He was the champion of the standardized testing regime. But they were always able to talk about it in this really glowing language of 
We're trying to help everybody out. We're performance-based because that sounds good to everybody. Until you realize what it does is it drives, it turns professionals, turns educators, it turns professionals into cogs into somebody else's machine. That doesn't mean that great work can happen within that, but you, we've already felt this at Kutztown in higher education, where everything has already started moving in this direction. That the the credentials credentialing systems that give you that give universities their um, <clears throat> accreditation are already looking at these outcome based stuff, and the number the amount of time that I used to spend even the first ten years that I was at Kutztown University. The amount of time that we that has shifted from conversations about students and curriculum and and program growth and all that to measurement outcomes, writing specific language to make sure it fits the outcome language of this stuff. The amount of time that is spent in assessment and outcomes based is performance based things for the accreditation purposes is is unbelievable. The kind of conversation that I had in the first part of my career versus the conversation I had the second part of my years with my own colleagues is so vastly different. So much of our time is, is taken up with that. I've seen this happen in medicine too as well. Same exact thing. I remember seeing this happening, right, in medicine and saying, that's just what they did to us. And sure enough, they did it. They drove physicians out of the field. They drove nurses out of the field. They drove the medical professionals out of it because they couldn't freaking stand it anymore. They got into it be, to, to, to practice medicine, right? Got into it to be an educator, got into it to be a scholar, got into it to be an academic. And the screws got put in. And now suddenly what you're doing is that you are doing paperwork all day long to justify your existence on a daily basis. Your focus shifts away from the students, from the patients to this testing regime. And the worst part about it, I saw this happen in, I saw this happen, my, what drove my mom out of education. She was a kindergarten, kindergarten teacher in the inner cities of Utica, Utica, New York. And all the things that she used to do in her classroom, she will, she'll tell you this over and over again. All the things that she did in that kindergarten school, like she said, you know, those kids, they, they need just attention. They need people to take care of them. They need people to kind of like listen to them and spend time with them and build this community, right, that that can kind of give them opportunities. When she started, when they started coming into her kindergarten class and saying, no, no, you can't do that anymore because we need you to start training them to take these tests. That's when she knew she had to leave. She retired early. She got out early because she couldn't, she just could not handle it anymore. She just, she's like, this, this is not why I ever got an education. It's the same thing I find myself saying now about higher education. <clears throat> so again, I'm not trying to suggest that this is what Shapiro was doing. However, I am concerned for a couple reasons. Number one, Shapiro is cut from that same kind of cloth that those uh, those uh, Obama administration officials were that basically did all this kind of outcome-based performance stuff in medicine and in education, which has had detrimental effects upon the people who act practitioner, 
with no demonstrable significant improvement in what they set out to improve. They have a hell of a lot more data now, but they haven't actually done what they're doing. As a matter of fact, in many cases, what's happened, they've changed what we call education to mean the outcomes on these tests. And Shapiro is, that's his shtick. Right? Remember, Shapiro is a guy who's been wide open to the charter school industry. He's someone who's like had a kind of, you know, love-hate relationship with the big money folks um, that like to charter, charterize uh, uh, K through 12 schools. He's bought into some of that. Now, some people tell me that, okay, he's moved away from that a little bit. We shall see. The second reason why I'm concerned about that is because you mentioned, when I mentioned that part, I said, you know, he's, you know, a lot of this plan came out of these kind of these higher education professionals who, you know, he's got his higher ed working group. Who's on that higher ed working group? Are these faculty members? I don't know, but I, but here's the interesting thing. At the end of his press release, Shapiro's press release, he says, see what higher education business and government leaders are saying about Governor Shapiro's higher education blueprint. And this gives you a little bit of window into who has been in the room in defining this. The first person is, of course, Pashi Chancellor Greenstein. So I'm, I'm not going to read you all their quotes in here, right? Well, well no, actually, I'm going to read you Greenstein's, then I'm going to go down from here. Greenstein says this, quote, in this is Shapiro's press release, quote, Pashi's remarkable transformation over the past six years shows that a collaborative system is good for students, communities, and employers. And we know higher education can accomplish so much more by uniting. The governor's proposal is a real opportunity to build upon the strengths of Pasha universities and the community colleges. Together, we can create a new, larger system with better collaboration that gives students more pathways to degrees or credentials, rapidly adjust to the changing knowledge and skills employers want, and provides the lowest cost, cost option for students throughout their lifetime. Pasha Chancellor Greenstein. That first sentence, passing that a collaborative system is good for students, communities, and employers. I'll remind you of how chaotic and frustrating and devastating this quote-unquote collaboration consolidation of universities has been for those communities for those faculty members and for those students but how many faculty members lost their jobs in that of how many students suddenly found out that they could if they wanted to get a, get their program that they were going to have to do these online classes or 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 commute an hour away for one or two classes a week right Communities who suddenly are kind of losing businesses, right? We, we talked about this on the show. We had independent studies that show the economic impact of what Chancellor Greenstein was, was basically doing. It, the economic impact was going to be devastating to a lot of these small communities, right? But man, does he know how to charm the pants of people in power. Oh, God, he does. He's got some skills, I'll tell you that. But so listen, so Chancellor, Pashi Chancellor Greenstein is one of the people that gives a quote and commentary here. Neely Benapudi, president of Penn State, gives a comment. Richard Englert, president of Temple University. Yeah, Temple University, right? How many presidents, uh, you know, the, 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 the school with the kind of revolving presidents, right? 
But anyways, Richard Engel, president of Temple University. John Gable, chancellor, University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Brenda Allen, president, Lincoln University. Dr. Quinton Bullock, president, the Community College of Allegheny County. Dr. Ski Sigelski, president and CEO of Hack, right? Harrisburg Area Community College. By the way, that guy, Ski Sigelski, one of the biggest union busting presidents in the state, right? But he's given space to quote. Greg Scott, president and CEO, Chamber of Business Industry in Center County. James Grunke, uh, president and CEO of Erie Regional Chamber of Growth and Partnership. Angela Harding, Clinton County Commissioner and Jimmy Sabatino, Luzerne County Councilman. Those are the people who comment, who are given quotes in his press release. Not a single faculty member or everyday rank and file educator cited there as all. No voices of students, no voices of educational interest groups. Only the CEOs and presidents of those educational institutions, some of which have a horrific labor record <laughs> temple university hack looking at you right so those are the reason i'm tapping my brakes on this a bit okay so and my point is you know i was i was looking at i was i was hoping to find some um some critical assessment of this plan so far but uh, I haven't found a ton yet, um, so I'm going to look for some folks to, you know, to come on the show to talk about what's happening in Shapiro's um, higher ed program. Now, he's giving his, I want to say his, uh, he's giving his uh, state of the, state of the Commonwealth. God, when is he giving it? He's giving it like the first week of February, I think, right? February 6th, All right? That's when he's going to give his full, his budget talk, basically. He's going to um, talk about his uh, his budget. So I we assume that there's going to be some more details in there, and that's going to be emerging over the next next couple of years, um, or next couple of next couple of months. I'll also say that um, I was just on a call this afternoon. Um, Abscuff, my faculty union. You know, we've been in contract negotiations. We've been working without a contract since uh, since uh, January. I'm sorry, uh, June 30th. They, uh, the state system of higher education and my union ABSCUF have finally come to an agreement in principle. We don't, do not have actual language yet. They're supposedly working on some of these details. They came to an agreement in principle, so we should have a contract assuming what they're relaying. I mean, there seems to be a pretty strong, I don't want to say sell, but an agreement at this point for people who are kind of in the know about what was happening in contract negotiations, that this seems to be a decent contract. You know, again, I'll wait till I see the language. But um, but once that contract gets resolved, my guess is that we're going to be shifting gears pretty quickly into this higher ed um, proposal. So that obviously it's a personal interest to me. But also, it's a suggesting of we're going to see some significant changes in what happens in, in Pennsylvania. And I don't think that the state system of higher education is the only one. So, anyways, that's the kind of third area of kind of people that I'm reaching out to right now to get on the show. So, yes. Emily says, yes, uh, wish Shapiro had gone the same route as Gretchen Whitmer had gone for uh, pre-K and community college funding in Michigan. Yeah. 
I mean, look, we already had a proposal, you know, um, there the PA promise was the whole idea as about, you know, tuition free college for uh, um, Pennsylvania residents, the state system of higher education for those uh, families make $125,000 or less, right? Again, not a fan of these kind of like, you know, divisive kind of numbers. I'd much more prefer universal, you know, for everyone. Because look, you know, I, I've said this before on the show, and I, I, I think, you know, a lot of folks who uh, come from the same bent as I do, look, it is true that if somebody is making, if somebody is making, you know, their family is making $20 million a year, right? They don't need, they can afford to send their kids to college, right? And so some people will say, well, why should that person get a free education when they can afford to pay it, right? Why not, you know, that person, they should pay their own way, right? First thing I'll say is that chances are if somebody's making $20 million a year, right? They're not going to send their kid to one of the state system, uh, state system schools, period. Right? If they could afford to send their kid wherever they want, they're gonna, their, kid, their kid's gonna go wherever, wherever they want that kid to go, right? Number one. So it's not like you're gonna have a huge influx of rich folks that wanna come to Kutztown. It's just not gonna happen. Second thing is, because, well, let me be clear about that too. The reason why is people who make tons and tons of money, they know that the value of say, like Ivy League schools and all that other kind of stuff and those, the most elite stuff, yes, really good education, but the bang for their buck is that it's the networking opportunity, right? They know that when you got your, your kid comes out with a Harvard degree, that puts them into this whole network of kind of job that they're gonna be taking care of and they're already gonna reproduce their class position, right? We know that already. So that's side. The second issue is though, let's say there are several rich folks, right? Making $20 million a year that send their kids to the state system schools. So what? I mean, I think it's a good thing that people across the social, cultural, class divisions occupy the same spaces, right? I think it could actually be a learning experience for someone who's basically never had to pick out their own clothes in their entire life. I said everything they ever wanted because their parents, it's a good thing for that person, that kid to be in the same classroom as someone who's basically the first generation college students who are struggling to make ends meet. There's a benefit in that. It cuts down in whatever limited way possible it takes some bricks out of these walled off communities that we've gotten so used to living in. Is that so bad? I mean, is that worth, for me, that's like, that's what democracy promises, right? To be in a context in which you are not just like everybody, just like you, but you're contending with differences and challenges just of different of lifestyles, of backgrounds, of histories, of experiences. That's the space 
that we need to be kind of constantly practicing and negotiating with each other. So I don't even get it at a practical level. The only reason, there's two reasons that are only ever given, right? There's the, there's the kind of, there's the, uh, they could afford it, you know, the kind of us, them thing. They could afford it, so why should they, why should they get it, get it for free, right? And the person who says that generally are generally the person that if they found themselves on the $72,000 a year side of that tuition break instead of on the $69,000 side, right? If they found themselves, oh, you're not going to get the tuition break because you make $2,000 too much per year, they're going to be the first one that are going to be pissed off and that are going to be, you can count them to be voting against Shapiro in the next election, right? I think that's the way people's personal politics work. But if you make it say, this is what you get is by the nature of being someone from Pennsylvania. We're gonna make sure that we have a cap of $1,000 per semester in the cost of tuition. Okay. We're all in. There's still gonna be people who are gonna disagree with that but they can't, what, what's their ammunition? Uh, state, the uh, government, blah, 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 blah. right? Yeah, the same old ideological chitter chatter, not the space that most people live in. But if I'm in a community, if I'm in a neighborhood, I can know that, hey, my kid, right? So, you know, this family here are making $69,000, right? And that family, then their best friend lives up the street and their family makes $75,000 a year that if they decide they want to go to the same college in the state system of higher education, then they're not going to find out that one of them gets to pay a cap of $1,000 per semester and the other one has to pay a full ride, right? Has to pay the full, has a full tuition bill. That pits people in the same community against one another. Now, again, one of the argue, the other argument for doing it is as well, it's just practically this is what we can do. And I'm willing to hear that, right? I'm willing to say, look, this is significant, right? If you can seriously cap the tuition for $1,000 per semester cost, that is totally significant and is going to catch. I, I, I would have to look at the numbers. I was about to say majority. I don't know if it's majority, but let's just say dear majority of the, um, the, the college bound folks. And it will give, make it possible for working class kids, poor kids, lower to middle income kids, give them a pathway into higher education without saddling them with tons of debt. That's a huge achievement. So I don't want to kind of like forget that part of it. But I also think we need to look at the big picture here and see what the, you know, what's actually happening. My guess is, is like, look, Shapiro is a media darling, right? The official media kind of really liked this guy. And so they, you're going to, especially once, once he's going to be getting, he's already got this proposal about sweeping reform at PA funded higher education has already made national news. So there's going to be lots of people who are going to have him on TV to talk about how great he is and how this is transfer, transformative and they're going to fawn over him. Our job is not to fawn. <laughs> Our job is to be critical and to assess what's kind of going on.
right? Ideally, we're in a position that we find something out that's going to be deeply problematic that we're going to push, that we're going to make sure that if they consolidate all these universities, that there are going to be union faculty members at all of these universities. Things like that. But anyways, so there you go. That's a little bit of a peek into some of the things I'm looking ahead for. Um, I know that we've got another uh, episode of The Signal coming out um, this week. Uh, um, I, I hope you you caught the first one last week, uh, it was, or, or two weeks ago. Sorry, it was a really a really um, good show. Uh, from what I understand from Cyril Cyril Michaleko, the editor in chief over there at uh, Bucks County Beacon, is that we've got uh, the uh, in progress the recording of the new episode of the Civic Circle, which I'm really looking forward to, kind of uh, getting my editing teeth into. Um, and uh, we should be good to go. You know, I'm looking forward to um, some good times. So the short of it is um, I will be, I would love to hear people's perspectives too as well. I mean, you could hit us up on, uh, on, in the, on the Patreon discussion or email at Raging Chicken at uh, RagingChickenPress at gmail.com uh, or message me on, on, on Twitter, Facebook about what the hell we're gonna do about how to kind of promote this show and other shows like it because uh, I'm I'm getting increasingly, it's becoming increasingly more difficult to spend any time on X whatsoever. Um, that it just you know I could go on for that. I'm not going to, but um, but other alternatives like Blue Sky and Threads and Facebook and all this kind of stuff don't seem to be kind of really replacements for what Twitter once was. Um, so I, I'm just I'm curious what we're going to do about that. So we shall see. Anyways, I'll keep you posted. So look at your socials for more information about what stuff that's coming up. I'll let you know what's happening um, next week. Um, the plan is for this week to have a show on Friday. Um, so we should be back here on Friday morning for a Friday Politics Roundup um, just to kind of get the year started out right as a way to kind of give you some more um, details about some upcoming shows um, and to kind of check in to see what's happening in our communities. My tendency on Fridays will be to focus a little bit more locally um, I'm probably thinking about um, spending a little time unpacking what's happening over in Souderton um, because I know their folks are Souderton and Kutztown. So I know the folks are kind of, uh, their elections went the, the other way, right? Their elections went the wrong way um, for their school boards. And now they've got some of the stream extremists in their backyard. So there you go. Anyways, uh, love to you all. Uh, great to see folks out. Um, uh, thanks again for all the work that everybody has been doing out there. Um, look forward to a great year ahead and look forward to seeing you um, all throughout what we do here at Rage Chicken. Uh, you might have a little weird outro today because uh, there's something wrong with my other music. So I'm going to hope that, oh, you know what I need to do here? Hold on, hold on. There we go. Hopefully uh, this is going to get us where we need to go. Anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney. Uh, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. You can uh, help us out and become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head over to patreon.com slash RC press. And uh, oh, that's not what I wanted. I want this one. All right, here we go. All right, everybody, we're out of here. Uh, have a great night. Have a great week ahead of you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the socials and we'll see you this Friday right back here. All right, everybody. See ya. I'm <laughs> <laughs>